Good morning, everybody. Uh, glad y'all are here. My name's Riley. I'm the campus pastor here at the Anderson campus. And who you just heard from, I, I said this in the video, he said this, but Matt Steelman, he's the campus pastor uh, down in Aiken. And if you're just catching up or you're, you're just kind of picking up on this, uh, at the end of every year, one of the things that we do as a church, and we've done this for a handful of years now, is this thing called the overflow offering. And, and we started doing this, like, I guess, about five years ago. And we did it in response to God just being so good to us that we had to do something in response to, to his goodness. And so every year, the way that we respond to God's blessing to us is we do an overflow offering. Now, in years past, that offering has gone to different places. We've partnered with other churches in the cities around the state that we're in. We've partnered with other churches around the country. We've partnered with nonprofit organizations in Africa and Cambodia and here in the United States and here in Anderson. And every year when we uh, approach God and say, what do you, we, we, we're going to take up this offering um, what do you want us to do with it? And we, can, we, we pray and ask God, what, do you, what would you have us to do with this offering we're going to take up every, or, or this year? And this year as we prayed about it, we felt very clearly that we needed to take everything that's going to come from the overflow offering and give that to Aiken so that they can get into a permanent facility uh, in Aiken. Now, if you remember, any of you that were here last week, uh, we handed these out uh, at the doors as you exited last week. If you weren't here last week. I'm putting somebody on their toes right now. I don't know who this is. We're going to have these available for you uh, out in the atrium. So whoever's out in the atrium, Sherry Moorhead, whoever's listening, I'm sorry I didn't tell you this beforehand. I'm sure we have extra of these, and I would love for y'all to pick one of them up because uh, it's going to help you. Ex- it's going to help explain why we would, uh, outside of just listening to God, why we would give all of this money that, that's going to be received from the overflow offering to the Aiken campus. Because on here, um, number one, all new spring campuses are going to be in permanent homes by 2030. So this is our vision for 2030. We want to see all of our campuses who have leases get into spaces that we own. Uh, so Aiken is going first in that this year. So you saw this on the video just a moment ago, uh, but the land to the right uh, on the screen where it says new, new spring Aiken home, the land to the right there, it's 42 acres that we were actually able to put under contract two weeks ago. And so the Lord has already been, which is awesome, right? And so the, the Lord has already been so kind to us in the process. The contract was favorable, like uh, the, the price of the property is favorable. The price of the property is $1.5 million, uh, and which is a lot of money, but it's a good price for where the property is. And so uh, we are, we are going to get Aiken into a permanent home. Now, the second part of this, uh, it says we want to be debt-free by 2030. Now, if you remember four and a half, five years ago, we had about $45 million worth of debt here uh, at New Spring. And since then, we have paid down $30 million in debt in that amount of time, which is awesome, right? It's amazing. The Lord's been good to us. And so we have about $15 million worth of debt left that we are aiming to pay off as soon as possible. Now, um, the, the question that we have gotten a little bit with this Aiken uh, deal is how long is it going to take to get into the facility? Well, one of the things that we are not going to do is we are not going to take on new debt to build this facility because one of the best ways to get out of debt is to not take on new debt. And so we're not going to take on new debt, so we're going to pay cash for this Aiken property and for the facility uh, that is going on this Aiken property. 
The, we don't know exactly how much the facility is going to cost because of inflation and things stuck on containers and, and construction cost changes and all this kind you know, lots of variables there. But we believe that $3.5 million is the, a great amount of money to one, obviously purchase the land, pay cash for the land, and then really get rolling on this building project. So how long will it take us to build Aiken? As long as it takes us to have the cash to build it because we're going to pay cash for it, which means that all of us in here have an opportunity to partner with Aiken to come alongside of what God's doing uh, and, and go with them in building this permanent facility. So that's, that's the culmination of this overflow season that we're in, the overflow series that, that I'm wrapping up today, uh, and the overflow offering that we're taking up. We want to see God do something amazing in Aiken, and we want to partner with what God's doing to advance the kingdom of God in Aiken. So that, that, pick this up. The, the third one there is that we want to plant 10 churches by 2030, and there's some explanation uh, there on the bottom. So make sure you grab one of these. This is really important and something that, as a church, we're really excited about. So um, I, I know I, I mentioned this just a moment ago, but I have been asked uh, today to wrap up our overflow series uh, where Lee and, and Dan and Brad have taught through. So today what I'm specifically going to be talking about is generosity. So I'm going to be talking about what the Bible says about generosity, specifically what Paul says in the second letter to the Corinthians uh, about generosity. So if you want to turn in scripture, you want to pull your phone out or your Bible or whatever, I'm going to be preaching from uh, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, some out of, out of chapter 9, but mostly 2 Corinthians 8, specifically the first five chapters. Now, I want to give you a little context around uh, the book of, this book of 2 Corinthians, but also Paul. So Paul is an apostle who wrote these, he wrote a lot of letters to a lot of different churches, but the, the one that we're focused on today is a letter to the Corinthians. And the reason that Paul was able to write these letters to these churches is because one of the things that he did was he planted churches, he mentored pastors in churches, he pastored people at these churches. So he had context for lots of different things in lots of different churches. So he would know what struggles were at a church, he would know where people were, where these churches excelled, he would know what they were good at and what they were bad at. And instead of just hammering each individual church, he used the, the wins and losses and the teachable things from these different churches to write letters to other churches that he fathered. Does that make sense? Okay, give me some active listening. Come on, give me some head shakes. Does that make sense? Okay, great. Okay, so what Paul is going to do here in just a moment when, when we read this is he is going to reference uh, the Macedonian churches. Now, the church, there were, there were a handful of churches that Paul was responsible for helping plant, for pastoring, for having oversight in, in the region of Macedonia. Now, the region of Macedonia is about 120, 150 miles north of Corinth, uh, and, and so when he's writing to the Corinthians, they have some idea about what's going on up there, but really the information that they know about what's happening in the churches of Macedonia is coming from these letters and the, and the insight that Paul gives. And so uh, in just a minute, we're going to dive in to, um, to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but one of the things that I felt impressed all week uh, leading up as I prayed and just asked the Lord about today and, and how this needed to go was to, to say this to you guys. Um, I don't know if you normally take notes. I don't know if that's something you do, if that's a habit that you have, if that's part of your active listening uh, when, you, when you come to church or when you do anything, when you're, when you're sitting in a, a class or in a meeting or, or you're talking to someone. I don't know if you normally would, would take notes. Uh, I want to encourage you today, whether it's on a scrap piece of paper or on your phone or on the sleeve from your coffee cup, however you need to make it happen, to have something available so that you can take notes. And it's not because I have something really important to say. It's because as I've... Um, 
as I've prepared for this, I've just had this uh, impression that the Holy Spirit really has some things that he wants to say to individuals in here today that may not have anything to do with what I'm talking about. Because the Holy Spirit is a better pastor, he's a better teacher, he's a better friend, uh, he, he is more loving and more kind and knows more than I ever will. So I really want to encourage you today to be prepared, even if you never do this, to write something down that God may want to say to you. Because just like Alan said at the very beginning of the day, I believe God has you here for a specific reason, and it may have nothing to do with generosity, but I think God wants to talk to you today. Can we get some head nods on that? Okay, at least give, give the effort, be prepared. Okay, so let me do this. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, Father, thank you that you've got something you want to say and that you're good and kind and, and, um, and it's going to be helpful. And so, God, I just uh, invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way to say whatever you want to say, do whatever you want to do. We are here to honor you and make much of the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Okay, so we are going to read now um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me hide this. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 5, and it's going to be up here on the screen so you can read along as I read it aloud. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, there's a footnote there that says, and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Okay, so Paul is, again, he's writing this letter to the Corinthians and he's referencing the Macedonians there and he's going, hey, I want you to see what they did. I want you to look at this. This is a big deal, Corinthians. I want you to put your eyes on, as you're reading this, I want you to think about this. They did this. I want you to learn from it. And so as I'm preparing, I'm thinking like, okay, if, if while this letter was written from Paul to the church in Corinth about the Macedonians, I believe that it's to them, but it's for us. And there are things God can show us in this letter that will be beneficial to us as we try to live out kingdom lives in the community that we're in. So uh, a couple points that we're going to walk through, and I'm going to do a little teaching, and then we'll be done. Okay, point number one. There, so there meaning the Macedonians, their generosity was worthy of celebration and imitation. Their generosity was worthy of celebration and imitation. Now, one of the things that has become profoundly important being a pastor over the past couple of years is that when you're going to engage in a conversation with someone, you make sure you have the same working definition. Because when I start talking about something from one place and somebody else starts talking about it from another place, it's, you, it, there's a lot of this happening when you talk about something. So what I want to do is I want to give you the working definition of generosity that we're going to be using today. Everybody okay with that? Yes? Okay, great. So this is a combination of commentaries that I read on the Bible and Webster's. Hodgepodge, here we go. Generosity, a readiness to give, an open-heartedness towards one's possessions. A readiness to give, an open-heartedness towards one's possessions. Now, a couple of things uh, that, that I want to point out right there and, and some context I want to give around generosity and church. One I want to point out in the definition of generosity, I, I looked in a lot of different places. Nowhere did any form of a definition of generosity have anything to do with the amount of money or possessions that anyone had. 
So how much you have has nothing to do with, with your level of generosity. Generosity, while uh, it does play out as an action, it's way more of a posture. And so generosity and the willingness to give something away, the readiness to give, an open-heartedness towards your possessions can exist whether you've got a dollar or a hundred trillion dollars and everything in between. So I just want to make sure we're working from there. A couple of things, uh, again, in the context of church, because we're sitting in church, that I want to help us uh, just all work from the same place from. Uh, When it comes to tithing and offerings, tithes and offerings, by definition, would fall under the umbrella of generosity a readiness to give, an open-heartedness towards your possessions. So if you're tithing, and a tithe is 10% of what God has given to you. So what happens is God gives us something. He he gives us uh, our our ability to work, and we earn a wage, and then we take 10% of whatever that is. So if you make $100, $10, and we bring it back to the house of God. Now, it doesn't have to be this house, but if you come to church here, I would encourage you, this is the house that I think you should give to. But to any house of God that preaches the Bible. So there's, there's a tithe, that 10%. And that is something that we are told to do by God as an act of obedience. Our open-heartedness and readiness to give, it falls under that umbrella. Now, different than a tithe, not the same, is an offering. An offering is anything over the 10%. Okay? So if you made $100 and you give 11, 10 of that is the tithe, one of that is an offering. Make sense? Active listening. Okay, here we go. So, and, and when we're talking about generosity, while I just framed up those things as tithing and offering inside of church, in the rest of this time that we're going to be talking, I do want you to think about it in the context of church, but I also, also want you to think about generosity just in life. Not just here, not just how uh, does, does the church that you're a part of benefit from your generosity, but how do your coworkers feel your generosity? How, does your, how do your kids feel your generosity? How do, how do your ball team, how do the kids in your class, whatever it is, how do they feel your generosity? And that's kind of the, the context that we want to pull from. So uh, here we go. Um, let's look at verse two. And it's not going to be up on the screen. So if you've got it in front of you, I'm going to read it. If not, um, it says this, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Severe test of affliction, There was an abundance of joy in their extreme poverty. This has overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Now, let me me paint this picture. Severe test of affliction, okay? What it says, or, or some of the references to this, are the Christians in the churches of Macedonia were undergoing persecution because of their faith, and so it had put a financial strain on them, okay? So their severe test of affliction... And then over here, there's this extreme circumstance, extreme poverty, and sandwiched in the middle of that is an abundance of joy. Think about that. Severe test of affliction, pain and suffering, extreme circumstances, abundance of joy. Friday night, Tara and I, um, we went to Woodruff Road. Severe affliction. We chose to. Nobody made us. And we decided we were going to eat dinner there because, you know, when you got, I guess when you get really old and when you have young kids, you eat dinner at 4.30. And, right, y'all know. And so we've got young kids. We decide we're going to go to dinner. It's, we go to a Mexican restaurant, okay? And it's a great Mexican restaurant. It's one of our favorites in Greenville. And when you go to a Mexican restaurant, what is the first thing that they bring you? Chips. Chips, right? Okay, cool, great. Terry, you know where I'm going with this? Okay. 
So uh, we have to wait a few minutes. We get a table. Uh, we sit down. Um, our, we wait a couple of minutes. Nothing happens. Our waiter comes to us, asks us what we want to drink. We tell him, here's what we want. Here's what we want for the kids. And can we also get a, a two cheese dips, a not spicy one for our boys, and then a spicy one for us? About two minutes goes by. Is that fair? Three minutes goes by. They bring the cheese dip and the drinks. No chips. So I am I'm looking at Tara. Uh, I didn't think that this was something that was going to be in the message until I remembered this morning, literally this morning, that our waiter's name was what, Tara? Jesus. So I'm getting, I'm, I'm like, it's, it's three minutes into my cheese dip getting cold and I'm starting to get hot. And Tara's like, babe, just... It's okay. it's okay. I said, I know it's okay. I know. You don't have to tell me it's okay. I know. Cheese dip's getting cold. And after about, yeah, and, and eventually, tell me, again, tell me if I'm, you're sitting right here, tell me if I'm lying. Eventually, Tara takes her finger and goes around the edge of the bowl to eat the cheese. Because no chips. And not, there were five girls standing at the hostess stand too, on their phones. Okay. That is not a severe test of affliction. It's not. And it's not an extreme circumstance. And I did not have an abundance of joy. Okay? Now, let's, let's get real, real practical for a minute. How often do you consider your circumstances a severe affliction and an extreme circumstance and you lose your joy? You choose to operate in something else. I, I did it on Friday. I probably did it a lot yesterday. I'm going to do it today. But for these churches in Macedonia, one of the things that Paul is pointing out to the Corinthians is, look at them in this terrible circumstance, severe affliction, and this extreme poverty, they found joy. And then what happened? It resulted in an overflowing wealth of generosity. It's wild. Okay? So as I started processing this and thinking about it, um, the question that came to my mind, um, well, one thing I need to say before I move on. As I, as I was preparing, I, I wrote this down in reference to me. And so I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm telling you what God said to me, and you can use it how you want to. Okay? If my generosity, see these air quotes, is based on circumstances, I'm not generous. I'm calculated and opportunistic. Because if in severe affliction and in extreme poverty, there was an abundance of joy that overflowed in a wealth of generosity, then if I'm choosing uh, to, to be generous based on my circumstances, I am not generous. Okay? So now this is, I'm going to pastor you for a second. If you are choosing to be generous when your circumstances are good, you are not being generous. You know how quiet it is? You're not. I'm not. We aren't. So I started thinking about this, and, and one of the things that Tara and I uh, decided uh, uh, right shortly after we got married is we wrote some things down that we wanted our family to be, some characteristics that we wanted to have, some things we wanted to be known for. And one of the things that we wrote down is that we wanted to be known as a generous family. And that ain't got nothing to do with us working at New Spring. That ain't got nothing to do with us being in ministry. That ain't got nothing to do with anything other than we love the Lord and we see in Scripture that like that's something that looks like people who love God do. 
And so um, I, I wrote down these three things to answer this question. Why do I aspire to operate in joy-filled generosity? Because that's what the Macedonians did that Paul was telling the Corinthians about. Number one, um, it, it makes me more like Jesus. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave. Hebrews 12, 2, Christ went to the cross for the joy set before him. So joy-filled giving is a characteristic of God. Joy-filled giving makes your soul more like Jesus. Joy-filled giving makes people go, huh, that's interesting. So as I started, to, when I was younger and I started to, to wrestle this generosity idea to the ground, one of the questions that kind of came up often was, how do I know when to be generous? So for any of you that have been around New Spring for any amount of time or have kind of been in the guts of the building, there are two hallways on either side up here that go back to what is now a, a, a meeting space and a storage area, but it used to be the fuse offices and the worship area. And so we would walk, fuse guys would walk this way to go to our car. So we were always passing through worship. And one day I bumped into Lee McDermott when I was wrestling this to the ground and said, Lee, I got a question I need to ask you. I knew him to be a generous person. I got a question I want to ask you. How do you know when to be generous? Like, how do you know when you should give something away? And what he said has changed my life. He said, if you have the thought, should I give this away? Or should I do blank? Should I pay for their meal? Should I buy their coffee? Should I get them this gift? Should do you think the enemy is going to encourage you to be generous? You should just do it. And so one of the things that Tara and I have tried to do, and we don't, we're not perfect, but we have tried to, if we have the thought, should we blank, the answer is yes. That's just, that's how we try to operate. Um, so, and that makes us more like Jesus. Okay, so it makes us more like Jesus. That was one. The second thing, it protects my heart from greed and having a wrong perspective. Uh, Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, this is Jesus talking, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So be on your guard against greed. Life doesn't exist in abundance of possessions. Now, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have abundance of possessions. He's saying life isn't there. So I want to be very clear. I'm not pointing, I'm not trying to point the finger at anybody that's got multiple homes or you, you've got a big bank account or what. I'm not coming at you like that. What I am saying, though, is if those things have you instead of you having those things and there's not an open heartedness towards those things, you need to be on guard because life ain't there. You're not going to find life in that. So if you felt anything when I said that, you need to take that to God. And you need to ask him, are there things that I'm not open-hearted to? Are there possessions that I own that I'm unwilling to open my hand for? And as I've kind of operated, it protects my heart from greed or, or having the wrong perspective. As I thought about this, I, I, I think one of the ways it protects my heart or, or maybe a result of it protecting my heart, I don't, I don't really know how to say this. Um, I just can't think of anything that I've ever given away that I regret. I can't, think, I can't think of a time that I've ever given something to the church. I can't think of a time that I've ever given something to someone else. Whether it's anonymously or my name's on it, I can't think of a time where I got done and, and, and there was regret. It was always this joy that God allowed me to feel through being generous. And so it protects my heart from greed or having a wrong perspective. And then the, uh, the last thing that I wrote down in reference to why do I aspire uh, or despire? Why do I aspire to operate in joy-filled generosity? The third thing is this, giving stuff away is fun. Like, I don't, I don't know when the last time, like, you, you just, like, decided, you know what? Heck with it. I'm going to give this away. 
the anticipation of it, the joy that you get when someone receives it, it's just, it's a massive deal. And it's biblical, Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So whether it's money, things, resources, it doesn't matter what it is. It, is a, it does something in your heart when you are able to give something away. And it's really fun. It really is. Uh, I remember when I gave Tara um, on our first wedding anniversary, uh, she had a wedding, a wedding band and her engagement ring, and I got a matching, uh, like, I, got, I don't know what it's called, an a second band, an anniversary band, to go on the other side of her engagement ring, and she didn't know. And so on her anniversary, we're at the house, and I you know, give her the, the little gift bag, and she opens it up and immediately just starts crying and is so excited and so thankful. Um, and, and the joy that I got from that, I would have paid five times what it costs to get that done just for that moment. And so giving stuff away is fun. And just to test it. If you don't know if it's fun or not because you've never done it, decide today who you're going to write a check for $50 to, put it in the mail and send it to them. I'm telling you, it's fun. So we aspire to be a joy-filled family. I aspire to, be, uh, to operate in joy-filled generosity because it makes me more like Jesus. It protects my heart, and, and it's fun to give stuff away. So that's all point one. Y'all back them reservations up for lunch. I'm just kidding. The next two are real short. Okay, so that's all, you know, all under the, the mindset of in a severe test of affliction, um, in an extreme circumstance, they had a joy, a abundance of joy that led to a wealth of generosity. Uh, the next verse that I want to look at is verse 4, and it says this, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints. This is where point number two is. They saw it as favor to be involved. The Macedonians saw it as favor to be financially involved in what God was doing. Now, when I think of the word favor, I think like, hey, I'm going to do you a favor, or can you do me a favor? Or if you watch Seinfeld, you know, Kramer always says, can you do me a solid? That ain't what this is talking about, okay? This is, not a, this is not a, can you help me move the couch? Can you create convenience for me? This is a, I recognize that if I get to be a part of this, that I will position myself to be in an outpouring of God and his spirit that I can't get any other way. And so the, the question that I, that I wrote down is um, do I see it, do we see it as an honor to be included in the things of God? Do you see it as an honor to be included in the things of God? I'm not just talking about giving. I'm, do you see it as an honor to pray with someone? Do you see it as an honor to serve a widow? Do you see it as an honor to take care of kids who don't have as much? Do you see it as an honor to, to be kind? Kindness is a thing of God. Do you see it as an honor to be kind? Because I don't. I want my cheese dip. I mean, you know? You know what I'm saying? Do you see it as an as a honor to be self-controlled? That's a thing of God. Because if we do, it, it, changes, our, it changes our perspective. Uh, it says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one of us, each one of us must give as, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, 
we're able to be cheerful givers when we see it as an honor to be a part of the things of God. Verse 5. And this is not as we expected. It's Paul talking. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Third and final point. The Macedonians, their primary concern was God and what he wanted. That's what made these other things possible. The reason they saw it as a favor to be involved, or as favor to be involved, the reason their generosity was worthy of celebration and imitation, the reason, the reason in, in um, extreme or a, a severe affliction and extreme circumstances they were able to have an abundance of joy is because their priorities were appropriately aligned in the order with which allows things to overflow. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, I want to be just like super clear as, as uh, we're wrapping up. We do have an overflow offering, and, and the win is not, man, if we were able to take up $3.5 million as a church, that would be incredible. But let me just tell y'all something. For years, God has been faithful to this house. And if we don't take up another dollar, God's going to be faithful. And if we take up $9.5 million, God's faithful. The win from the overflow offering for this campus is not that we would raise $800,000 or we would reach some numerical goal. The win for the overflow, overflow offering for this campus is that you put God first, that you hear from God. I want you to hear from God. I don't, want, I don't want you to be super, I, I, I love all of you. I will do anything that I can for you. It is a much bigger win for you to be connected to God and the Holy Spirit than to be connected to me. God can pastor you in ways that I can't. I ain't sitting with you in the morning wondering what's gonna happen during the day. God is. I'm not looking at your budget. God is. I'm not, I'm not just like I said last week, I am not responsible for you. I'm responsible to you, which is why I would tell you all these things that I've told you, because I want you to have the appropriate information to be able to make a decision so that when you stand in front of Jesus one day, you can go, this is why I did what I did. And so the win is that you would hear from God and the win is that you would put God first and that you would put God first today and tomorrow morning when you go back to work and when you wake your kids up tomorrow morning and, and when you go back to school and when you make the decision you're going to make about whatever's coming up in your business world this week, the win is that you would hear from God and you would be obedient. That is the win. So would you stand up with me? And we're going to end um, today the way that we end our time together by asking ourselves two questions. And I would, I would like you to ask these questions. And they're going to be up on the screen. It's, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do? So I don't know if there's something I said 25 minutes ago that you typed in your phone that God said to you or there's something that God is saying to you right now. Um, but, but what I hope to be true is that we can be a joy-filled, generous church. 
not just in this house, but in our communities. Because I'm telling you, if in severe test of affliction, with an abundance of joy, through extreme circumstances, if we're able to overflow in a wealth of generosity, that is going to turn heads for the kingdom of God like nothing else we can do. That is going to stir things up in our community like nothing else that can happen. So let's pray. Our, our ministry teams are going to be down front. If you need to talk to someone, if you've got questions about reprioritizing God, hey, maybe you've never put Jesus as first priority ever. And as I'm talking, you recognize that. I talked to a guy, I need to, I need to say this. I talked to a guy this past week who had something, he had something awful happen in his life. And the reason it happened, he, his words, my priorities were out of order. So what order are your priorities in? God, we are grateful. Um, grateful that you have been generous to us, God. That Jesus, uh, for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. God, we are thankful that you have been faithful. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would stir up in us a desire to have joy-filled generosity. God, I pray that we would be the kind of church that you would be excited about writing a letter to another church about because of how we operate. God, I pray that you would bless the individuals in this room with the, with, uh, the, the posture and the mindset and the character to be generous regardless of what's in their hands. Finally, God, we just ask, I ask God that you would advance your kingdom in Anderson. God, that this place would look more like heaven because of the people that are in this room. Because of our readiness to give, our open-heartedness towards what you've put in our hands and appropriate perspective and priorities, God. We love you and we're thankful for everything that you are doing in this church and in this community. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.